Hello, welcome to this BMJ podcast about well-being. Today we're talking about how to say no. I'm Abby Rimmer, careers editor at the BMJ with an interest in doctors' well-being. And I'm Kat Chatfield, a trained GP with an interest in quality and patient safety. Abby and I co-lead the BMJ's campaign on well-being, which is obviously a huge issue for people at the moment. So today we're going to be talking to a medical educator who has an interest in coaching and supporting clinicians, especially in helping them to say no. So Abby, why do you think having the ability to say no is important at the moment? I imagine, Kat, that a lot of people are being asked to work probably right at the edge of their capability in very stressful environments. And maybe they need to be able to say no just so that they can look after themselves and make sure they don't get burnt out or do things that they don't feel fully comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, I think there's been a lot of pressure on, on NHS staff to be hugely responsive and hugely flexible in in what they need to do in times of COVID so you know to do their job in a completely different location in even in a different service you know we've seen ophthalmologists move into kind of general medicine (laughs) and so people are going to be feeling that this is a real challenge and a real stretch and obviously they want to stretch and want to provide the care that that everybody needs and patients need in the time of COVID but if people are being pushed to do things that they're not comfortable with or that they actually really aren't clinically safe to do because their training is is you know not up to date or you know they're just not competent um then everyone's going to be at risk and as you said the kind of well-being aspect to it in terms of being pushed so hard that you burn out and then you're kind of no good to anybody is um is a real a real problem I think Mm, absolutely and I I also was thinking you know we've had healthcare professionals, doctors and nurses and others been invited to return back to work from being retired. And those are people who might have been out of work for a, a couple of years, if not more. And and maybe this is also relevant to them. You know, they might feel like, you know, no, there are certain things I now can't do that I used to be able to do. But I, how do I say that without feeling like I'm being a burden or actually I'm not being as useful as I'd like to be? So it, it probably covers people in all different situations. Oh, definitely. And we know that a lot of nurses and other healthcare staff have been redeployed as well. I think also there's something about um, kind of speed and urgency. I think it's hard to sort of, when you feel like there's a crisis and everyone's running at full pelt and the adrenaline's flowing, it's hard to say, whoa, slow down. Um, I can't quite remember this. I need to look this up or I need someone to supervise me doing this. And I think, I think that's I imagine that's a conversation that's been really difficult to have. Um, and I wonder if, as we're coming out to the other side, some of these stories and, and some of these things will start to, to, to come out and to kind of bubble up. Well, we're very pleased to welcome onto the podcast someone who knows all about this. Um, so my name's Kate Burnett. I'm a urologist in Salford. I'm an associate specialist in Salford. And I've got a degree in education. I work with... Uh, Health Education England and NHS England. I also work as an executive performance coach and an organisation system relationship coach. So my passion is about empowerment of people and empowerment of systems. And for the NHS, that's about uh, really delivering true care. You know, what does that look like? How can we empower our people to have a really high performing organisation that delivers care? Kate, that sounds like the most fascinating job title or, you know, CV. And, but how did you get involved in becoming that kind of coach? I think I followed my passion. I followed my spirit. My spirit is about a deep humanistic connection. How can we create 
really high performing or not even high performing but just really love filled relationships and that that looks different for different people but over my career what people have told me is that they they're looking for relationships they're looking for satisfaction they're looking for a really deep humanistic connection with other people we're a so pro-social society uh, and so we're looking for that and and how have I got involved in that I started out as a kid with my dad who was in, into education understanding human uh, behavior understanding education understanding what made a difference to people and how people learned uh, understanding the art and science of learning uh, and that took me into medical education and the medical education didn't quite satisfy me it was more about really how do we create enough intimacy in a relationship in order to deliver something that's positive to somebody that will help them learn uh, and empower them so to see that empowerment for me is is a great thing uh, and that's come over very many years so Kate, you talk quite a lot there about empowerment and one of the things that Kat and I were speaking about before you joined us is having the ability to say no to things and especially during this current crisis, being able to say no without feeling very selfish about doing that. And I wondered if you could talk to us a bit about when it might be okay for clinicians to say no or put you know, their own needs first in a sense and you know how to deal with that. I think what you're talking about is conformity in the NHS and, and, and I think we have to look a little bit about uh, the culture of the NHS and the NHS is 70 years old, you know, it's got lots of tradition. Uh, there was an original myth of the NHS, the NHS constitution, which is about care and compassion um, for the people, by the people in times of need. And within the NHS, there's lots of different subcultures, I, I would call them lands, you know, the land of the GP, the land of the the supervisor, the land of the trainee, the land of the SAS doctor or, you know, and they're different. The cultures are different in those different lands. Um, they're, they're different challenges, you know, they're different strengths. They've got different rules and rituals and all those things together make up the NHS. So in order to feel empowered as an individual, you first have to uh, know about yourself and then you have to know about the culture in which you're in, uh, the land in which you're in. Um, and, and I think in order to say no, in order to empower oneself, one really has to have some radical self-inquiry to about self. You know, what, what is in, in my lands, in me, and what is in the land in which I'm in, in a social way. Um, and, and then looking at differences and looking about how those two things interact. So when you talk about self-inquiry, for me as a layperson, what, what does that actually mean? What does that involve? How would I self-inquire? OK, so... Um, you know, so, so we all come from somewhere and, and we're going somewhere and, and we're in a moment. And, you know, everything that's in me is from my experiences, the way I was brought up, my family, the relationships I had with my siblings, uh, the relationships I formed with money. When did I first form that relationship with money? So uh, within me, I have uh, rituals and things that I do subconsciously and consciously that are made up of me. So I have a mansion. I am the mansion. And within my mansion, there are many rooms. And within those rooms, there are different wallpapers and there are different furniture and all those things make up me. So if I'm going to radically self-inquire, I have to just slow down the world a little bit, really slow it down and really think about me and what I'm experiencing. So what emotion am I having? And maybe why am I having that emotion? You know, what, what am I experiencing? We're, we're, we're so quick in the world, we rush along and... You know, we sort of experience experiences without actually uh, thinking or slowing down the world or thinking about those experiences that we have. 
Michael West talks a lot about uh, mindfulness and we think of mindfulness as, you know, something we do morning and night. But in fact, mindfulness is about being in the moment and just really noticing what's in the moment, uh, what's in self. So if I was to radically self-inquire and, and, you know, I, I practice and practice and practice to do that all the time. It's about noticing my emotion, what are my experiences and how do these experiences or these emotions either fit with what my experiences of life are or not fit. And if they don't fit, maybe they, they, they create frustrations or anxieties or anger in me. And then just putting it through my self-translator of why is that? You know, what's different here? What's different for me to what I'm experiencing? So, Kate, you talked a lot there about the self, and I can definitely empathise with or sort of a lot of that resonates with me. You know, kind of thinking from my self inquiry. You know, one of my strong um, aspects of myself is that I want to live by my values, and one of my and so I get very um, frustrated or cross when I have to do things that I feel don't kind of line up with my values. And one of those values is obviously service to others. But sometimes that means that I can end up resenting other people because I feel like I'm doing something for them, but maybe at a cost to myself. And so you can get into these situations which have a lot of conflict. And so what I want to know is, you talk a lot about self, but what happens when the external environment is pushing you to do things that don't chime with your own kind of sense of self and what you need? Yeah, thank you for that. So that's a, that's a, uh, that's really interesting. So I think there's something there about forming conscious and intentional relationships. So if you know that you are a, a people pleaser or you, you get external reward, um, what position do you take in that relationship? And I would say you take a, often healthcare workers take a rescuer position. You, you have to just slow the world down and think in this moment where I'm, when I'm offering my help, has this help been asked for? Or am I offering it and, and or pushing it and, and it hasn't been asked for? So that's the first conscious, intentional thing to do. And then in this conscious, intentional relationship with the environment, I have to be absolutely, we call it case, uh, caring, sharing uh, and honest. So open and honest. What is it that I'm saying and what is my intent? And is the intent here to serve my own need, uh, my own ego? So I'm a helping stance and therefore I help. Or is what I'm doing actually helpful? Have I been asked for this help? It does make sense. And I can kind of see that from a perspective for me as, you know, when I was a GP or, you know, as in my own role now. But what about as a trainee when you feel like you have no kind of structural power? So I, I experienced that a lot when I was when I was a foundation programme director. I experienced trainees feeling powerless a lot. And I think the first thing to say is to be really conscious about self and about what's in the job. So what is in the job that I've I've said yes to and what is in that job that I haven't consented to? And what is in this environment that I, I consent to and what is in this environment that I don't consent to? And, and often those are things like care. So often, you know, trainees, they come to do a, a, a good job. You know, they want to do a good job. And yet what they experience is pressure. So that reduces their performance. And then uh, lots of hierarchy and lots of cultural things, rituals, rules in the culture that they never saw and they never consented to. So the first thing to do is slow down. When I was a foundation programme director, I always told my trainees just to just to stop. If, if, the, if it's too much, just stop, just slow down and, and, and uh, just take a minute to think and just think about what's happening in this moment, what's happening to you and what's happening in the world. And then to have a conversation with yourself about 
the conscious intentional relationship so to say well what is in this job if I'm a if I'm a junior doctor on respiratory what did I consent for when I took that role what does the role say and what am I experiencing so what is not in that role and if it's not in that role I make a choice do I accept it include with it and that is a choice or do I say no I don't want that and, and then if I say no I don't want that I need to voice that so bring it up talk it up wrap it up you know I need to voice that and and nobody can um can complain to you about talking about your experiences or about bringing up what is important to you I think that's a, a really interesting point I just wonder whether the it's the voicing up part that can be the hardest for people I um I often talk about my sister on this podcast and she has been working as a trainee in a, an ICU during the course of the pandemic. So she's been working very hard and she's just about to be rotated onto a new job. And she was told that their annual leave would be honoured. And now now they're rotating, they're being told they won't be able to take their annual leave. And she's been quite, you know, reasonable about it and circle and saying, oh, it's OK. And it's that voicing up that I think she probably would struggle with. And I wonder if there's any advice that you might have for people, because it's not necessarily saying no, but it maybe is saying this is the thing that I need. And how can you do that without f- seeming like you're feeling selfish, or you're being selfish or, you know, you're trying to put yourself first in an environment where actually everyone's struggling? Yeah, so thank you for that. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting example, isn't it, that? Um, I, I think conformity is an interesting beast. So we tend to conform if the large group is doing the thing. You know, we tend to conform uh, if our personality is is an external locus. So uh, as Kat's just said, you know, if I'm a people pleaser, then I tend to conform because it's, it fits my values. So conformity is a really interesting thing. You know, am I anonymous in this system or am I going to be known? What's the hierarchy here? And I think there are plenty of examples of your sister. And I think saying or seeing, or this is important to me, this annual leave is important to me, this annual leave is going to help my mental well-being, my my health and well-being, this is important to me. And then, you know, you have a responsibility to self to voice that. So voicing up would involve, without aggression, you know, it's about listening with fascination and being honest and open. So caring, sharing not secretive so voicing that to the help to the hr people you know this 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 annual leave is important to me because of my health and well-being and therefore i need to take this annual leave and the rule might say no annual leave and and i think if you go with that rule then you collude with with, with the rule and and you know you we really need to look at collusion why are we colluding and what are we colluding with so you know if you play that risk re, that rescuer position that you, your sister's playing if, if she needs her annual leave and you know, she's, she's not going to voice up that, that she is going to need. She's playing that victim role. And ultimately, that's that's what I would call a drama triangle. She'd always, the system will always be, be a persecutor and a rescuer. So somebody will always rescue that setting. Something will rescue that setting if she plays that victim role. So recognising what role you play in that, I think, is important. So does that help voice up? So I think there's something there about um, just slowing the world down. You know, is this annual leave important to me? If it's important to me, why is it important to me? Uh, and then what can I do? You know, HR people are there to support us. Um, can I talk to the HR people, explain to them that this annual leave is important and why it's important for your health and well-being um, in, a, in a sort of a caring, interested way? And, and they may be able to then explain their, their land of you know, why they've made that sort of blanket rule of 
no annual leave and may there's some flexibility in the system and you know if we can collaborate with everybody maybe people that need that annual leave can take that annual leave and maybe people that don't necessarily need it per se for health and well-being can forfeit it a little bit longer you know so there's always flexibility in the system i really like this idea of um you know just speaking up about what you need is opening a conversation isn't it it's not it's you know you can feel like you're making an unreasonable demand but it's actually just expressing and airing something that you need to express and air and it might be that you don't then get what you need um, because the system doesn't give it to you uh, but it might be that you get something else that's better for you than the previous situation and I'm, I'm just thinking of um i got up at six o'clock this morning which doesn't sound that early but felt early uh, so i could go downstairs and do a bit of yoga before the kids woke up before i started work because i felt like i needed that about five minutes later, the four-year-old appeared. Mummy, 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 what are you doing? Mummy, blah, blah, blah. Just got her settled on the sofa saying, oh, you know, watch mummy doing silly positions. Uh, and then the six-year-old appeared saying, oh, mummy, mummy, I want to watch television. Why are you using the television? Blah, 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 blah. And I felt really sort of crossed and frustrated. And I sort of tried to negotiate with them saying, well, you know, I could just do 20 minutes, blah, blah, blah. And I just gave up because, you know, you can't negotiate very well with six and a four-year-old. So I gave up did all the things I needed to do, got them breakfast and they, they let them watch some telly. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to have a bath. So actually I didn't do yoga. I didn't get that, which I really wanted, but I kept them happy and I gave them what they needed. And I still then had a bit of a moment before work where I had a bit of peace and quiet. You know, I didn't get the specific solution I thought I wanted, but I got something that I needed and it filled a bit of an emotional need that I had and I'm much better because of it so anyway that's just a very kind of um, grounded anecdote to illustrate what you were saying that's a really important example Kat you know thank you for that it's a really important example and I think there's something here about that conversation and about the iceberg of conversation so we say only a tiny bit of what our intent is you know, we say only a tiny little bit of actually what is the intention here. So in that setting where you've talked about your kids, you know, could you get in your land of your kids and, and, and understand that they love mummy, don't they? They want to be with mummy. They love mummy. And, and maybe a conversation there about recognising, you know, it's really wonderful that you love mummy and you want to be with mummy. And, and isn't that really wonderful? And, and mummy just needs to do this yoga. So how can we entertain you or, or could you watch mommy do the yoga for 20 minutes? Could you do the yoga with mommy for 20 minutes? You know, what's flexible there in that, in that setting? And really, what is the intention? So your intention, you've talked about just a bit of peace and a bit of mindfulness and a bit of a moment. So can we, if we say that that's the boundary, can we make that intent really clear? How are we going to do that? Are you going to get that up five minutes early because you know that's going to happen? Are you going to take that five minutes before work? So I think, Kat, that's a really wonderful example of flexibility and conversation. And I think you're right. I think care is all about flexibility and conversation. Thank you. It's much easier negotiating with children than a kind of big NHS culture. <laughs> um, and how do you... So you talk about maintaining boundaries there, sort of setting a boundary. Um, how do you think sort of professionals can kind of create and maintain these boundaries in a work in a work environment yeah I, I really think boundaries are really important and, and I've had experience over the years of um you know deficits or or not great boundaries and, and experiencing lots of projected identification and things so boundaries are really important and and I think in order to know what what boundaries you need and what boundaries are being exerted uh, you really need to slow the world down so we really need to slow 
moments down and be conscious of every moment and then recognize what what is in self what self is playing out and what is it you need and what is it that's in the culture that you said yes to and in the culture that you haven't said yes to so how can you maintain those boundaries i think slowing the world down and being really conscious of yourself and your own needs and the system that is the the social of the nhs and I, and I think there's there's something there about the, the vocabulary you use in, in, in the... This was a great learning for me. I had this learning. I'm going to share this with you about boundaries. I, I, I learned about boundaries with, with my leadership coach. And I had this experience where I was on holiday with some friends and it was a birthday. And I was dieting and she offered me a piece of cake and I said, no, thank you. I don't want any cake. And she said, you need to have some cake. It's my birthday. And I said, no, thank you. I don't want any cake. And she said, no, you need to have some cake. And we almost had this fight over this cake. It was ridiculous. And when I came back, I talked to my leadership coach because I felt really forced into taking this cake. And they said, you know, maybe a little bit of a soft boundary. So it may sound like this. Thank you very much for your cake. Your cake looks really, really delicious. I know it's your birthday and this cake's really important to you for your birthday. So could I take a piece of cake and eat it later? Or would you mind honouring me and honouring that... I'd really love a piece of cake. It looks delicious, but I'm dieting and that's what's really important to me. So it's a sort of a soft conversation around a very rigid thing. And there there are two positions there that needs to be a relationship between those two positions, which originally on the cake, I didn't I didn't do very well, but I learned afterwards. And in fact, I even have it on my wall, the cake, the cake scenario, because it was a great learning for me. (laughs) And, And that is a good learning about about lands, I think, going back to the cultural thing is to know that lands are different that there is a, a bridge between these lands and, and walking over the bridge we need to be good tourists in somebody else's land but it doesn't mean to say that we need to take on that culture we need to take on our own culture and a culture that fits us so um yeah i think you're right so how do we maintain our boundaries i, I think we need to slow the world down and just just um listen with fascination to ourselves and to others okay i really like the idea of slowing the world down i think that sounds really sensible. One thing I wonder though is especially at the moment or or maybe less so than a few months ago but maybe things still feel like they're going at 100 miles an hour just because of the current situation that we're in and I wonder if you have any advice for people on how they can still slow things down when they're feeling like they're on this constant treadmill of having to keep up. Yeah so uh, we've got to recognise that that, um, speed is a defence for vulnerability and the, and the pandemic has caused lots of chaos and, um, you know, it, it causes lots of vulnerability because it's chaotic, because it's uncharted territory. And, and so when I say slowing down, it's really just about knowing the locus of control. So, you know, we try to control everything because if we control everything around us, including ourselves, then it feels much more comfortable. In fact, we can't control everything around us. Um, we can only control ourselves. So knowing that you can only control yourself and you can't control everybody else is is the first thing. And then making conscious efforts to be mindful. It takes such a lot of practice to sit and just reflect about what I am experiencing. So what one is experiencing in the way of emotion, in the way of uh, surroundings. And and I think there's there's a process and a practice there. So I'll give you an example. Um, when I trained or developed as an organisation system relationship coach, they asked us to do something that was really uncomfortable for us to participate that speed. Because, you know, if it's really uncomfortable, we do it really quickly because we feel really vulnerable. 
Uh, and so I sat at breakfast on my own, which is unusual. I, I wouldn't normally go into a big dining room and sit at breakfast on my own. And, and I sat at breakfast and, and they asked us to practice just um, noticing what was happening in our own emotions and then noticing what was happening in the world around us and the emotions around us. So watching myself just, oh, it feels a little bit uncomfortable to sit in a, be- in a huge canteen full of people when, when I'm on my own. Feels a little bit uncomfortable. I feel a bit vulnerable. And then just watching the people around me talk, you know, couples talking, people looking at me, you know, what do they think about that? And then the, the, the waiter that kept coming up to rescue me, you know, oh, she's on her own, I've got to rescue her. So I, I think if you're a junior doctor working and, and speed, you know, and it's often on call, isn't it? You know, there's fast amounts of speed on call. Just taking a moment to have a coffee, just to sit down, just to think, not tiddle with your phone, just to just to be in the moment not to amend it in any way, shape or form, just to see what's happening with your emotion, just see see what's happening in the world and just notice. And if you notice what's happening with yourself and what's in the world, often you feel very validated just by the world, just by yourself, and it helps. And it's an art to practice, it doesn't come immediately. It's taken me years and years and years to practice that art of in the moment mindfulness. I think the other thing to do is to, for, for junior doctors to reduce the speed is to notice that what we're thinking in our head is not necessarily self. So to push those thoughts away a little bit using techniques like, uh, if I could do a little experiment with you, it w- would be uh, you think of a thought, you say it out loud 10 times uh, and you see how it affects you. And then you think of the same thought and you add on to the front of it, I'm having the thought and then you say the thought again. And you see what happens to the thought. It pushes just a little bit away. Uh, And then try again. I notice I'm having the thought and then have the thought. If you do it 10 times really loud in your head, that experiment, you'll notice that the thought just pushes away a little bit. It becomes less you. It just becomes a thought. So just distracting ourselves from our minds and uh, being really in our hearts, just in the world. And it's an art to practice, I think. And when you're a junior doctor on call, I often used to see junior doctors coming in and have floods of tears uh, because their list of what they needed to achieve on call was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, the pager was going all the time and, and, and they felt unable to cope. Uh, and they come into the office and I say, well, what are you going to do? And they say, I don't know, I just feel overwhelmed and I can't cope. And of course their empowerment goes down. So the first thing I say is just, just take a moment just to sit and do nothing. Just take a moment just to, to do nothing, have a cup of coffee or just sit back. And then often the world just feels a little bit different. And then this list of jobs you've got, you know, it's all about communication. If there's another job being added, have you communicated to the person that's adding these jobs that you've got all these other jobs? Because they probably don't know. We're not here to floor you. We just need to be open and honest. Or if the nurse phones up and, you, and wants you to do X, Y, Z immediately, have you communicated with her you've got all these other things? And if she wants it immediately, could she negotiate or he negotiate with all these other jobs that you've got to do to have their job done first, you know, how much is your responsibility and how much is other people's responsibility? So rather than saying yes immediately, I think I'd just sit back and and embed a little bit of critical appraisal, if I can put that, just a little bit of mindfulness. Oh, what what's subconsciously happening here? And uh, oh, you know what what's what's happening here? And what what can I do? And what's possible? That's a really good tip. I have one last question, which goes back to <clears throat> the kind of idea of lands and, and cultures. And 
I think, you know, you, you kind of gradually learn about the subculture that you're in, whatever it is. And But one thing we've seen a lot in the pandemic is people being picked up out of whatever land or, or culture they occupy and being dropped into very suddenly a completely different land and subculture. So, you know, you might be retired and suddenly dropped back into the workforce or you might be an ophthalmologist, I think, who suddenly dropped back into general medicine. Um, so what, what can you do in that situation to kind of, I guess, acclimatise yourself. Yeah, hasn't hasn't the pandemic done some really wonderful things for our NHS? You know, lots of grief, lots of frustration, lots of difficulties, but also lots of really wonderful things. So the spirit of the NHS, the NHS constitution is about care and compassion for the people, by the people in times of need. And when you're dropped into that difficult situation, it can feel really uncomfortable because you're out of control. You know, you're out of control of, of what's familiar to you. The, the the content of unfamiliarity is massive and, and how difficult that can feel. So I think the first thing to do is just to recognise that, that emotion. Oh, this is uncomfortable. This is, uh, this is difficult. Or oh, this is uncomfortable. It feels like. And then take a, a moment or two to look as a good tourist would around the culture that you've landed in. Doesn't mean to say that you have to take it on. It just means to say that, you know, as a good tourist, what do we do? We look round and and we experience the the culture that we're in, the new land, without judgment. We're not making judgment here. We're just experiencing in this. And uh, and maybe it's different to where we're from or our own experiences, our own land. And if we try to bring our own land into that new subculture, it wouldn't land very well, would it? But maybe they got things to learn from us as tourists, you know. So uh, what can we do in this new land? So I think there's something there just about taking that moment, slowing down the world. Recognise it feels a little bit uncomfortable. It's OK. We're not saying life is, is comfortable all the time. It's a spectrum of human emotion. And then acting like a good tourist. What does a good tourist look like? Well, they experience that culture. They experience that land without judgment. And maybe, you know, they can bring some of their culture in and, and we can create somewhere new. So, yeah, it's really uncomfortable. And, and I think the pandemic has done some really wonderful things for our NHS. It's brought more collaboration. Um, we've seen lots and lots of collaboration across the system. You know, isn't it wonderful that all these people wanted to come out of retirement to support the NHS? I mean, just what a wonderful accolade for our for our NHS. What a wonderful response to our people you know for the people by the people with care and compassion in times of need what a wonderful thing and we've seen more spirit of the nhs and people felt valued i mean not everybody but lots of people felt very valued it's it's in the system and how well received that's been so that the pandemic yeah it's brought lots of difficulties but it's also brought lots of hope and lots of positivity yeah, so I think they're just, just recognise if you've been landed somewhere else, being a good tourist is the thing to be. So it's a when in Rome approach to moving around the NHS. I love that. And I really like that that positive point that you make. And I think we're all really hopeful that, you know, some of these positive changes that we've seen will carry on after the pandemic. Yeah. In coaching, we talk about the original myth, which is the original relationship. So the NHS's re- original relationships after the Second World War, you know, when there really the, the, the was a similar crisis, wasn't there? And the people needed love and value and to be looked after. Uh, and that was the original relationship of the NHS. And over time, that original myth, that original relationship has changed, hasn't it? We've become lots of traditional scripts, lots of NHS cultures developed. Um, and there's nothing like going back to that original 
myth to, to redefine um, what's important here, what's the purpose of our NHS. Well, that was really interesting. One of the things I really liked from Kate was her example about cake. I think we've all had a similar experience in our lives of, you know, someone trying to push something on us that we're not, you know, prepared to take. And, um, you know, this idea of having a boundary and, and approaching it in a slightly softer way, I thought was very good. Yeah, I really like that. And then, but it also reminded me of another thing she said about the kind of iceberg of conversation and how you only articulate like the top of it. So you say, I don't want the cake instead of saying, actually, I do really want the cake. It looks delicious. I would love to eat your cake, but I really can't because I'm trying really hard to diet. And that is the most important thing to me right now. And I would love if you could respect that as my friend. But you don't say any of that, (laughs) you know. And so I really like the idea of just kind of that open and honest and sharing and and I think that does feel really difficult and does make you feel very vulnerable as an individual so I mean it's hard to do in that situation with your friends let alone at work where you know opening up and sharing to that degree must be really quite scary especially if you're in a new job or you know you haven't got really established relationships but I think it's a fantastic thing to aspire to definitely I think a challenge for us to kind of think about Definitely. And also there were some things that she said that resonated with me and remind, reminded me of some of the things we talked to Mark Stacey about in a previous podcast. You know, this idea of maybe not taking it entirely upon yourself, but reflecting on the things that you can control and altering those within a system that maybe sometimes is difficult to, to control. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't control any of the other stuff. So, you know, there, you can take action. And the idea of just having a pause, I think it can feel so difficult just to kind of press the pause button. But I think it does help you refocus. Well, I think we should wrap this up for now. Um, thank you so much to Kate Burnett for coming on the podcast. You can check us out on social media. We're at BMJ underscore latest on Twitter, or you can join our BMJ wellbeing group on Facebook. Please let us know if you have any ideas for what we might cover in the future. So until next time, it's goodbye from us. Bye. Bye.